Boyer's Coffee, they have been brewing coffee in this region since 1965. Locally owned, locally operated, environmentally conscious, and they make a wonderful cup of coffee. I have uh, their pods delivered right to my house whenever I run out. That is the simplest way to do it. Go to boyerscoffee.com, boyerscoffee.com, and you'll see uh, all of their products and uh, you can save yourself a trip to the grocery store. But if you go to your favorite grocery store, they're going to be there as well. Really look at their site right now because it's the holiday season. They have all kinds of great promotions and deals going. So whether it's uh, coffee or coffee products that... uh, you want to purchase for yourself or maybe as a gift you got to go to boyerscoffee.com now's the time to do it as i said they have all kinds of wonderful deals happening as we speak boyerscoffee.com steel products man they got thousands of great products s-t-i-h-l steeldealers.com is where you'll find the local dealer nearest you. And I guarantee you, folks, there's one right around the corner because they have more than 10,000 around the country. Also go to steel, S-T-I-H-L-U-S-A.com to see their wealth of products. There are so many, it is mind-boggling. All kinds of chainsaws, all kinds of blowers, all kinds of trimmers, everything to help your backyard, front yard, your oasis look like an absolute masterpiece. The more steel products you have, the better your property looks like and you'll be the envy of everyone in your neighborhood. Just go, man. It's a toy store for uh, folks that like to work in the yard. Steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, ESPN analyst and former college hoops coach Fran Fracilla is back for some more college hoops talk and some thoughts on your still unbeaten CSU Rams. This is going to be an amazing college basketball season because the level of play is so good. Colorado State, if they went to a Sweet 16, it, it's, it would be no shock to me. And part of the reason is they got older guys. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. The Broncos have been in three overtime games this year. They won them all. Got him. Got him at the 40. It's Thomas at the 50. Stiffer got him three to the 30. To the 20. Thomas to the 10. Denver's going on the New England. They win it on the first play of overtime. Welcome, everybody, to show 127A, as I'm calling it, because uh, Marky, who does such an extraordinary job, of uh, engineering and editing this uh, little endeavor of ours uh, pointed out to me yesterday that I've miscounted the shows, you know, because I always mention it. He said, this actually is 127. Last week, I think I called it 127. So thusly, I'm calling this 127A. And there we go. We move on. Hope you're all uh, doing very, very well. It's a difficult week uh, in these parts, the Rocky Mountain regions and region, and you know what I'm referencing. Uh, Demarius Thomas passes away at such a young age, and you know it got me thinking. I'm sure it got all of you naturally thinking uh, to so many great moments on the football field, but more than anything, 
the smile. And for most fans, they never interact with their favorite athletes. They see them on television. They see them being interviewed. And we all stop in our tracks when something tragic happens to someone so young, particularly an athlete, because when we witness what they do on the field and their seeming invincibility, we always are taken back when they pass young. And we attribute this not only to age, but to unique athletic ability. Well, a person who can move like that and is in incredible shape can't possibly die young uh, unless, you know, some horrible accident or the like. So this one really stopped everyone in their tracks. And I can tell you that I interacted with Demarius on a few occasions, not many. You know, I don't cover the Broncos on a day-to-day basis, though back when I was doing radio at the fan on a day-to-day basis, we had him on naturally uh, occasionally. I remember seeing him and he came to the, the tent when we all were at Dove Valley during summer camp. And I also remember one time in particular, we were doing a, a remote show downtown and Demarius came by as a special guest and he hung out after we did the thing on the air and we all, uh, you know, grabbed a bite to eat together. It was just, uh, you know, a few of us. And one of the things that was pretty clear is he was not a self-absorbed guy. He had a great smile, as you all know. He was, had an engaging personality. He truly enjoyed people. He enjoyed being around people. And so all of the commentary that you've heard from former teammates, most notably, and from several members of the media who knew him better than I did, they all rang familiar. And that is that he was a terrific guy. I think Peyton Manning, as he so frequently does, summed it up best when he said he was a Hall of Fame player in Peyton's opinion, but he was an even better person. So rest easy, DT. And I'm sure next fall we'll all have uh, eyes on the stadium when his name and number is put up in the ring of fame. You knew it was going to happen. It's happening sooner um, because of this tragedy. But I imagine we'll hear about that um, pronouncement at some time over the next uh, several months. Speaking of the Broncos, if I can make an awkward transition, you knew they were going to play lights out, whomever they were playing uh, last week. And it happened to be the Lions were a bad football team, as we know, and they were a depleted bad football team when they came in here. But uh, they wouldn't have been a match, uh, I think, with a, a Broncos team that was playing at uh, at a fever pitch, playing on emotion, uh, as well as they needed to play well because they're still in this thing and they can very well make the playoffs. It doesn't change the overall complexion of where they are. They, I, I think, have the ability to be pretty darn good on defense, and we've seen that uh, at various times. They have wide receivers. We know that. They still 
And whether they make the playoffs or not, they still need a trigger man. Uh, And that has become pretty darn clear. The elite teams have an elite quarterback. And unfortunately, and this is no knock on Teddy Bridgewater, it was a solid, you know, really good backup uh, or a starter on teams that are not going to win anything. Uh, and, And that's the reality. There are very few great ones. I remember saying this on a podcast last year. You know, when you talk about the top five quarterbacks in football, you you mentioned Brady and Rodgers. I mean, either one of them could be the MVP of the league. Rodgers was last year. I mean, Brady's doing great again. Rodgers, same deal. Russell Wilson typically, though not this year, is in that conversation. And you go, wait a second. It's the same guys you'd have mentioned 10 years ago. It's a hard position to play. It, it clearly is a very difficult position to play at an elite level week in and week out. We want to anoint guys as a franchise quarterback periodically. And, we, and, and even some of those guys that we are very familiar with and, and have really good moments where they seem elite. And then they step back uh, into the pedestrian category for a couple of weeks. You know, look at Zach Prescott, or Dak Prescott, I'd say call him Zach, uh, most recently. You know, Josh Allen has had great moments, and he's also had moments where you go, ooh, that doesn't look so good. You know, even Patrick Mahomes, and, and the Chiefs are on a roll, and Patrick Mahomes is great. I mean, Patrick Mahomes belongs in the conversation as one of the one of the great ones, clearly. Uh, you know, but he went, what, a couple of weeks without throwing a touchdown pass? It's hard to play... Uh, at, at a super high level at that position. But if you're going to win it all, if you're going to work deep into the playoffs, you got to have one of those guys. Clearly you have to have one of those guys. And the Broncos, I, I think, can still make the playoffs, but they'll probably be an early exit. They need a quarterback. And and real quick, you know what, Vic Fangio, I always say this, guys have a right to get better, whether they're athletes or whether they're coaches. They have a right to get better. Now, sometimes you can assess things pretty early on and say, I, I don't know if this individual has it. You know, Fangio has been around a long, long time, and I think he's gotten better. Uh, I particularly applaud his decision-making in-game when it comes to whether or not to to go for it on fourth down in particular. He's a lot less conservative, as we know, uh, this year. I think he has not only a chance to stick around, but but maybe you could make a good case at the end of this, and we'll talk more about this in a month, um, whether the Broncos should continue on. Because just to make change for change's sake uh, is not always the prudent move. But you know what? Last week I was talking about coaches being forthcoming in light of the, the Brian Kelly, you know, I, I, it's not a fiasco, but, you know, talking about his move to LSU and then doing so in a Southern drawl. Uh, Lincoln Riley going from Norman, Oklahoma to Los Angeles and uh, Southern Cal. And, and they, they give you all these different reasons. And we know basically the bottom line uh, is because of money. And so don't be disingenuous. Be upfront. Well, I was listening to, because as you know, one of the teams I pay very close attention to is the New York Giants. Uh, the football giants, the team I uh, still t- stay attached to. It's the team I, I rooted for in football my entire life. And I was listening to Joe Judge, their second-year coach, and we'll find out whether he is back or not. And he got on the podium for the umpteenth time, and he talked about how, and this was after a, a blowout loss to the Chargers, 
and he said, it, you know, we're we're so much better now than we were, and there are so many things that you all can't see. Speaking about speaking to the media, speaking to fans, to any critics, basically out there, we have improved our culture. We've improved how we practice. We've improved how we go about things. Well, that's all well and good. It reminded me of Steve Adazio this past fall. Always talking about, you don't know, we're going to build this brick by brick up up in Fort Collins. And, and you don't know what it was like. Uh, this this place was napalmed. And, and now it's, you know, I, I, I'm resurrecting it. But you can't all see what goes on behind the scenes. Well, guess what? Whether it's professional sports or major college sports, it is a bottom line business. When you line up and play, you have to win more than you lose. And in certain places, you have to win significantly more than you lose. So please, save me the lines that there's great improvement going on internally and a culture change and all that other bullshit when all anybody cares about is did you win Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon? That's all they care about. Now we move on to the world of recruiting in college football. Both Colorado and Colorado State signed what appears to be, uh, you know, pretty good classes. I'm with the University of Colorado, and there's now two signing periods. There's there's one in February, and now there's this one in, in, in mid December, and. Carl Durrell's class was picked middle of the middle of the pack in the Pac-12, which, by all accounts, you know is is pretty solid. There was one player that kind of jumped out at me, Grant Page, who was a terrific athlete from Boulder Fairview, who had been a longtime commitment to Nebraska, and we know they have issues. And he flipped, and he is going to stay home and 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 go to to school in his backyard, and uh, that's a good one. That's uh, on paper. Looks like uh, a good deal for the University of Colorado. Three of their top four players uh, in terms of how they were ranked come on the defensive side of the ball to our linebackers, uh, interestingly, uh, for CU. For Colorado State, this was a wild one. I, I listened to Jay Norvell, who has all Ram fans so fired up uh, after what had been really not only a down couple of years with Steve Adazio and, and so much negativity around that program, uh, but even going back the last few years, I think they felt great promise when Mike Bobo was there. It didn't turn out as many would like, though he did have some pretty decent, at least on paper, recruiting classes. Well, Jay Norvell came out and said as of Saturday, as in four days before we're taping this, they didn't have any commits and they put a class together of 22. Now, half of the class, or close to half of the class, are transfers. And nine of those transfers, nine of the 11 transfers, are from Nevada, where he came from. Which tells me a couple of things. Because I was reading up on those kids. And he has kids that you know are transferring who are very, very impactful at Nevada. He wouldn't take them to Colorado State if they weren't. But it also tells you that's a huge number, nine guys transferring in the middle of their careers and guys who all were making their mark in Reno. So there's a comfort level, et cetera. But they liked Coach Norvell and his staff enough that they all transferred, which is which is pretty remarkable, which gives further evidence to what you all felt when you listened to 
Coach Norvell's initial press conference that this guy is a winner. He's a great leader. He's got great charisma. He's got great integrity to him. Uh, So, you know, Colorado State uh, looks like they signed, uh, given the short notice, a really good class, heavy on offense. And he admitted as such because they haven't they haven't hired a defensive staff yet, which will be led naturally by a defensive coordinator, and they hope to sign another 10 kids in the late signing period once they have a a DC in line. I did something else, too. I I was just curious about this. I looked up uh, on the uh, uh, 247 recruiting website, the all-time top players recruited by the University of Colorado and Colorado State based on high school ranking. Well, number one for Colorado was Daryl Scott. Remember Daryl Scott, the running back? He was a five-star kid. And he had the same rating as another running back who was a five-star kid, Marcus Houston. And Marcus Houston was at a Thomas Jefferson uh, here in Denver. And both of those kids, not only five stars, but I believe they were both the number one running back recruit in the country. And CU got both of them. And guess what? Both of them ended up finishing their careers elsewhere. In the case of Marcus Houston, he just went up the road to Fort Collins and finished at Colorado State. Neither one of them really played in the NFL. Neither one of them you would describe as having a great or even really good college career. The third highest rated buff all time was Ryan Miller from Columbine High School. I remember seeing Ryan Miller, I called the state championship game, and his kid ran almost like a a running back, and he was close to six foot eight and 320 pounds. He had a good career at Colorado. He ended up being a, a middle-round draft choice and did have uh, an NFL career. I think he was a Walter Camp uh, All-American his senior year. So Ryan Miller panned out for the University of Colorado. But the point of, uh, of this little exercise is, is that you never know. And some of the highest-rated players never do become the player we all assume that they're going to be on signing day. For Colorado State, the number one recruit they've ever had was Justin Holland at a Bear Creek quarterback, uh, a four-star, just under a five-star quarterback, in fact, coming out of high school, signed with uh, Colorado State, and he had a good career. He did have a good career in Fort Collins, but it's not like he became an NFL star or anything like that. The next guy on their list, interestingly— is a young man by the name of Makai Fox. And for you hardcore Colorado State fans, if that name rings familiar, it should because he just signed today. He was a wide receiver recruit that had a number of Power 5 offers and was originally committed to UCLA. And heck, he grew up in Pasadena, a stone's throw from the Rose Bowl where UCLA plays their home games. And he flipped. He went from UCLA to Fort Collins. That's that that right there should tell you that Jay Norvell must be one hell of a, a recruiter. So Makai Fox, who was one of the better UCLA recruits, decommits from them and signs with uh, Colorado State. So he's already listed as the number two all-time recruit uh, at a high school for Colorado State. Their next couple of guys, Nico Hall and Tyler Smith, were recruited by Mike Bobo. They remain on the Rams roster. Uh, neither one of them has, has been a standout so far. You go back and you look at guys that have had really good careers in the NFL and 
and, and really good college careers. Uh, and by the way, congratulations to Trey McBride, becomes the first Colorado State Ram ever to be a unanimous first-team All-American, first offensive player in the history of the Mountain West to be a unanimous uh, All-American. Uh, but these guys typically are two-star, maybe three-star guys, and they get better. They have a great deal of want to, and so it's it's all well and good to, on paper, win signing day, but a whole bunch more matters once they get there and, uh, you know, what kind of desire they have and, and how they emerge once they're under the umbrella of whether it's Boulder or Fort Collins. So that's, uh, that's a little thumbnail sketch on college recruiting uh, in the area. We'll have more on that uh, down the road. Well, as you know, Fran Fertilla is on part two of our conversation. Fran knows so much about college basketball, and we're having such a good time chatting. We just chatted away enough that uh, we're going to do a part two with uh, with Fran. We'll get to him in in one moment, but uh, I want to talk about Colorado and Colorado State again in basketball. First of all, congrats to Colorado State. They jump into the top 25 in the nation after uh, the big win against St. Mary's about 10 days ago, and then their victory, come from behind victory against Mississippi State, uh, over the weekend, so they remain unbeaten, at least as we tape this, 10-0. and 0. They have Tulsa this weekend, and then they have a, a date with Alabama. I watched Alabama yesterday. They got bounced from the unbeaten ranks when uh, Memphis beat them. Memphis, under Penny Hardaway, had struggled a little bit the last couple of weeks, but they played really well and knocked off an Alabama team. So Colorado State, a couple of good tests coming up, but uh, congrats to them as they are uh, among the nation's top 25. I had Colorado in hoops twice last week, and uh, they won both of those games. They they didn't play uh, great opponents necessarily. They played Eastern Washington, University of uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee. They, they find a way, and you have to keep in mind with CU that they are really young, and they're replacing their point guard, who is truly, this is a cliche, but it was accurate in describing McKinley Wright, in that he was really a coach on the floor uh, as well. And uh, he was he's going to go down in 15 years, 20 years from now. We'll still look back and say McKinley Wright was one of the greatest uh, players to ever uh, play hoops at the University of Colorado. But right now, seven of their top nine, seven of the nine guys who play are either freshmen or sophomores. And typically, if you're that young, there's going to be a period where in, in games where you don't look very good. But you know what, Tad Boyle, they will continue to get better. Uh, so, by the way, our Boyers What's Hot segment, congrats to Colorado State University. First time in uh, I think it's about half a dozen years, maybe seven years since they're among the nation's top 25. And hopefully they keep uh, going uh, north from where they are right now. It's also time for our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. It's part two of my conversation with longtime ESPN college basketball analyst, and now he's doing some work uh, for the Pac-12 network as well, Fran Ficilla. Enjoy, everybody. Best teams you've seen so far. I did on the tube get to watch Gonzaga and Duke, obviously, you know Coach K exceptionally well. You know Mark Fuse exceptionally well. I know you were up yeah. seeing Fuse practice not too long ago. What What's your uh, you know early season observations of those two programs? Well, 
Actually, I would throw Purdue in there with Gonzaga and Duke. I think Purdue, I've seen Gonzaga in person. I saw Purdue at Mohegan Sun and then last week against Florida State. Um, I haven't seen Duke in person. Obviously, very impressive on TV. Wins over Kentucky and Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga, I saw beat the daylights out of Texas. Um, but so I have no qualm with, uh, ranking Duke number one right now because I don't think the rankings mean a whole lot in early December. Uh, but I was really impressed with Purdue. Uh, they have size, they have experience, they have depth. They can withstand an injury. They're very well coached. So they jump off the page at me along with Gonzaga and Duke. And, and actually, I'll say this, Villanova has two losses, but their two losses are to UCLA and to Purdue in basically one-possession games. I think you throw UCLA in there as well, Drew. And to me, those are probably the, you know, to me, the elite teams in college basketball at the moment. But one one theme that you and I talked about is because of the transfer portal and the super seniors, the NCAA giving everybody a fifth year, this is going to be an amazing college basketball season because the level of play is so good because there are so many older players, and even the Blue Bloods are not relying on the hot shot freshmen the way they used to. You know, part of the charm for me of college basketball, and, and I'm guessing for you as well, Fran, is that unlike college football, and I adore college football, I love college football, but at the at the start of the year, we know Alabama's going to be in there, typically Clemson, Ohio State, we know the names. And in college basketball, yeah, they're the name schools, we, we know those names also, but the mid-majors because of the yeah. nature of the sport, can truly have a large say in not only March Madness, but in that final weekend. We've seen it from Butler. Gonzaga now has become a perennial uh, national title contender, and I think that is really neat. Yeah, and I think this year, even more than ever, because of the older players we talked about, um, Colorado State, uh, we mentioned them earlier. If they went to a Sweet 16, it, it's, it would be no shock to me. And part of the reason is they got older guys. Uh, you know, St. Mary's has 100% of their scoring back from a year ago. That's a team that we traditionally think of as uh, being dangerous. Uh, you know, San Diego State, for whatever it's worth, the Mountain West is probably like I would call it high mid-major. But any, anybody who's at the top of the Mountain West is going to be a dangerous team come March. St. Bonaventure falls into that category this year. And, I, you know, I coached at Manhattan College in, in Ohio U, so um, I love that mid-major level because oftentimes your best teams are when you have uh, a group of kids who've been together for three or four years. And I think you're going to see that, you know, a lot this year, not only uh, in March but also throughout the season. And it's it's quite it's quite frankly why we've seen Iona upset uh, you know a team like Alabama a couple weeks ago. So it's pervasive. It's great for the game, and you only have, you only need to put five, you only need to put five really good players out there, and you can compete with anybody. Unlike football, where you need twenty two. Yeah. In your time, I was thinking about this the other day, Fran. I wanted to ask you about it. In your time as a coach assistant, head coach, and now, you know, 20 years basically broadcasting 
the yeah. game at its highest level. Was there a, a college player or two that you said, man, that kid's a slam dunk, he's going to have a great NBA career, and didn't for for a variety of, of reasons, I'm sure. But w- was there a guy that you can think of off the top of your head and you said, man, I, I think this guy's got all the attributes and for whatever reason did not make it? Yeah, uh, you know, it happens all the time. I mean, uh, you know, not that he hasn't made it, but I thought Porzingis would be a superstar, you know, uh, drafted by the Knicks. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking off the top of my head, the international guys I studied so hard for many years. I, I thought Danilo Gallinari, who you know well, would have been a great NBA player without injuries. Um, you know, this guy's averaged 18 points a game his whole career, except that, uh, I would say now over 12, 13, 14 years, uh, Gallo has been beset by injuries. But having said that, I am sure and I know that there are guys that I thought would make it slam dunk and didn't. And off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody. But you know, uh, being around baseball and basketball and football, that this is an inexact science. And, and I know this. Here's what I do know. And maybe what the average fan doesn't realize, much of the time, it's not somebody's talent, it's their mentality. Uh, you know, it's, well, we love this, you know, college coach will say, I love this kid, I just can't get him to stay in the gym extra. Whereas right. I have seen kids, and this is where I've seen them, uh, I've seen a kid like Buddy Heald at Oklahoma who nobody knew about as a freshman was like not even, not even a top 100 and ends up as the college player of the year as a senior because he just had an incredible work ethic. And now, whatever you want to say about Buddy, he's going to be in the league 12 years and average nearly 20 points a game and is one of the best shooters in the league. So I see that more than I see the bust because I take a particular liking to guys that kind of come out of nowhere. And that's what I love about the league. You know, when you look at Monte Morris with the Nuggets or – you know, guys like that who just stick around for 10 or 12 years and you covered their games and you go, I remember when he was a freshman or sophomore and I said he's going to play in the NBA. That's what I love about broadcasting is seeing it happen before it happens. Yeah, and, that, and I think that that's an analogy that's true in life. I mean, nothing trumps work ethic and desire. And yeah. I tell people, you know, I, I think people sometimes don't even realize at the highest levels of sport, there is a different level of competitor even at that level. Now, they're all great. Right. They're all really talented. They all had to have a, a great work ethic to get there. But even at that level, there's different – um, markers with certain guys as to what, you know, it's like you take Jordan, obviously, yeah. he's, you know, he's the best, um, but different competitive level, even at the highest levels. Yeah, no question. And I think that's the separator. You know, that's, that's Jordan, that's Kobe, you know, that's Bird, um, just to name a few. And uh, a lot of times, Drew, that, that you and I both know this, uh, the work ethic is done, in, you know, like Muhammad Ali said, before you fight in the heavyweight championship, the work is done on those back, you know, back roads, running at 5 a.m., getting your training in. And that's the beauty of what we get to cover is we watch guys evolve through their careers, whether it's college or the, you know, professional level. And you go, man, that guy is so much better than when he was a rookie. And what we forget is some of these guys are so driven um, to become not good but great. And I always say this. A lot of guys want to be in the NBA, but not a lot of guys know how to be NBA players. Um, and, and, to, and to stay there is, and to be good at a high level for a long time takes a unique uh, 
character trait. Understanding what being professional is is uh, yeah. is is uh, is a huge um, trait that uh, you have to have, and I, I would say it even at the college level. I mean, there there's you know this there's there's different guys, and, and it, the more yeah. guys you can rec- recruit that have want to, I always say this: yeah. I'll take I'll take uh, you know chip on the shoulder guy over pretty guy every single day of the week. And, oh, uh, I I see it all the time. I see it like I saw it last week with Purdue. Yeah. Can I can I say a mild cuss word? Yeah, uh, this uh, the beauty of this podcast is you can even say you're not a mild cuss. Yeah, word. no, you know, like Matt Painter has a rule: no assholes allowed. He's not going to recruit a guy that he just doesn't want to be around. And you know, Tom Izzo's like that, and Jay Wright's like that, and uh, Mark Few certainly like that, and, and Tad Boyle's like that. And certain guys don't care; like they'll take the uh, the occasional couple of assholes because they're really good players and. Um, you know, it depends on what your definition is because I've coached some hard-edged kids. I mean, I coached Ron Artest. I, I coach him every day of the week. He was not an asshole. But some kids you coach are difficult to reach, and you love that challenge. And other guys I've coached, quite honestly, where I told my coaching staff, I don't want to be around this guy. And uh, for the most part, when I go into a college practice and I watch a Purdue or a Gonzaga, you're dealing with great guys. And I, I know that's like that at the at the Major League Baseball level. When you have a clubhouse full of guys that like each other and they're pretty good, it makes it, it makes a lot it makes it a lot different for everybody to have that kind of chemistry forming. More with longtime college basketball analyst Fran Fricilla in a moment, but first this for my friends at Ideal Home Loans. They save you money, I tell you, every week, and they've been doing it for a long time. I've been involved with Brent Ivinson and his team for a number of years. I trust them. I know them well. I've had a couple of loans through them. I have sent a number of people their direction and all are very pleased. And in fact, uh, a couple like me have become repeat customers. Give them a shout. 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. They're going to put you in the best product for you, for what your goals are initially and perhaps over the next several years. If you think you are in a good place, it's still a great idea to get a second opinion. So give them a call. Brent Ivinson's team can be reached at 303-867-7000. I'm pretty sure they'll be able to save you money. They've saved me uh, countless dollars through the years. Again, the phone number at Ideal Home Loans is 303-867-7000. Divorce is not fun. Difficult time, emotional time, uncertain time. Been there. You need guidance. You need counsel. You need accurate information and great professionalism and understanding. And you'll find it without question at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker and Page. That's Cox, Baker and Page. They've been recognized in a number of publications for their excellent work in the area of family law. They're compassionate and thorough in guiding you through a tumultuous period. Their work has been routinely recognized for its excellence. U.S. News and World Report, for instance, consistently award Laura Page and Mary Cox best lawyer distinctions. If you or someone you know is looking for counsel, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com. That's coxbakerandpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Now back to more with Fran Fritchilla. 
We use a term, Fran, uh, regularly in the television business in, in analyzing sport. Yeah. And and uh, in basketball, we say, boy, he, he's a great coach. Um, you know, yeah. we talk about the Izzos and the Coach Caves and the Mark Fuse. We we know all their names. You know, you know Tad Boyle, Nico Medved. They're great coaches. Yeah. In your mind, what constitutes a great coach? Well, it's a great question. Uh, not to use the word great there, but it is a very good question, uh, Drew. Um, there's different ways to be a great coach at the college level. Obviously, you can say he's a great recruiter, or he's a great motivator, or he's a great tactician. And, you know, I think really it starts with being a great teacher and mentor. Um, it means that you can have an effect, let's say college, for example, that I can take a young man who's 18 and by the time he's 21 or 22, I've taught him how to play the game the right way. I've taught him how to continue to be a good human being. Often they already are because they come from good families. But, uh, but you know, the teaching of the little things of the game that make you a better player, make you a better team, uh, to me it's like, you know, the same characteristics that, you know, make a great teacher in a classroom or a great leader in a, you know, of a business, um, those characteristics really, I think, transcend. Um, but I think it's teaching. I think it's motivating. I think it's caring. I think it's relating. Um, you know, all those things matter. I have seen great coaches who are not great tacticians. And but yet when you are ha- when you do have a feel for the game and can make adjustments in game and you have all those other attributes, you just get, you go to another level. And uh, it's the old bell curve theory, you know, uh, 15% of the guys coaching college basketball just aren't very good. I won't tell you who they are. Uh, the other 70% are pretty good. They're all on that, you know, the middle of the pack. And then there's 15 that are just, as they used to say about Bear Bryant, he could take yours and beat his and take his and beat yours. And uh, there's a handful of those guys out there who have all the attributes, and that's fun when you watch them coach their teams. Yeah, it's interesting because you referenced earlier Iona's big victory over Alabama. You know, Patino's there now, yeah. and, and I know for some, you know, Rick Patino, uh, you know, conjures up un- unsavory things. But R- Rick yeah. Patino obviously can recruit, and Rick Patino can coach. Yeah, and you know what? Listen, he's made mistakes. We've seen him in the public. We've all made mistakes, you know. I mean, you know. But having said that, the guy can take any team. And they will be markedly better by the time he's done with them. He is one of those guys that I would put in that category of just unique because he has all the attributes of what constitutes, you know, a great basketball coach and has proven it time and time again. You know, he said, you know, Dean Smith would have been somebody that I admired because he had that great feel for young people, cared about them, and yet could out, out X and O you even though oftentimes he had better players than you anyway. But that's, you know, there are a handful of guys that just are in a special uh, level, I would say, and, uh, you know, have all the attributes. There, Fran, uh, you know, as we wind this thing down, there, there's a couple of guys I want to get your thoughts on because they are truly icons of the game. You know, when I was watching Big East basketball and you were involved in Big East basketball, uh, you know, there, there was Bayheim, there was Big John down at, at, at Georgetown. And I had the, you know, distinct privilege and pleasure of, of 
calling the um, Olympic trials in 88 when John Thompson yeah. w- was coaching that team. And, and I, I wouldn't say I got to know him, but I was around him and, and the, and the presence, not only physically, but just, there was a presence. Yeah. Um, Mike Krzyzewski is going to leave the game after this year. Uh, yeah. Those those guys truly of, of some of these guys we've mentioned those guys yeah. are are even at a different level are they not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Coach K, aside from being, uh, you know, I always said, and I've talked to him about this, and I've had pl- former players who are on TV now disagree, but he's kind of agreed with me. Coach K is probably not his, his strongest suit is not the X and O's. It's uh, it's his management and leadership skill, you know, uh, and his longevity, which is incredible, you know, to coach over 40 years, 43, I think, maybe, but um, maybe longer than that now that I think about it. But, you know, Coach K um, stands the test of time. He once told me that West Point, where he played for Bob Knight, was the greatest leadership laboratory in the world. Um, So, yeah, the Dean Smiths, the Coach Ks, you know, the John Woodens, um, they're they're in a special pantheon. John Thompson, I got to know, and what a great human being, you know. Honestly, Drew, the guy was a big teddy bear. The the uh, the the, uh, the public persona was, for most most part, an act. Um, and certainly, he felt strongly about social justice at a time when his voice was needed. There's no question. But what a good man, you know. I enjoyed getting to know him as a coach and then later as a broadcaster. But yeah, you know, I think what it comes down to is. For all the negativity we sometimes hear about college athletics, and it's not just true with those names that we're talking about, you know, the coach at Regis, the coach at, um, you know, Fort Hayes State, the coach at Assumption in Massachusetts, the women's volleyball coach at, uh, you know, Fresno State or, or Oglethorpe in Georgia. How about all these schools I'm right Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. I mean, the coaching profession is about really helping develop young people and, uh, you know, for every Dean Smith or, or Coach K, there's like a hundred people doing it at the high school and college level that we never hear about. So it's why I loved coaching when I did this. It's just you get a chance to have an impact on a young person who can come back 20 years later and thank you for what you did for him. So, uh, you know, I got to see, I get to see it on both ends. As you mentioned earlier, I've been able to bridge the coaching broadcast gap and yeah. enjoyed it from both sides. Yeah, and you do such a great job of, of teaching the game, of bringing passion to the game. And so does a guy that you know and, and I think touched uh, a lot of people's hearts recently with his um, you know, very public battle with cancer. And yeah. to get back on the air, to see to, to Dickie V, you know, where yeah. he belongs on the sideline, I, I found that profoundly moving. Uh, you know what? We're watching somebody fight a battle in real time that oftentimes is private, you know. Many of us have had people who have been affected by cancer cancer in our family, probably all of us, really. And everybody handles it differently. Dick, you know, Dick has such been such a, you know, I mean, I can remember in 1987 as a young coach at Ohio State, uh, Dick was big then, you know, had a bestseller come out, and he was a talk of college basketball, and that was 34 or five years ago. Uh, amazing, amazing what he's doing. I mean, you know, the – the best medicine he could have is being back on the court. I worry that he tries, doesn't overdo it, but to see him back on the court, to feel, to, to, you know, follow the struggle and the battle with cancer is, uh, very heroic. Ironic enough because of what he's done for the V Foundation, uh, because of his friend Jimmy V. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. You know, it's all, a lot of us are just, uh, 
so thrilled that he's uh, back out there. And uh, now he's just got to get well and make sure he doesn't overdo it because, again, gets back to the travel and all the things that we talked about earlier. It's not an easy time going from Sarasota to Vegas and, you know, Lawrence, Kansas. And, but absolutely emotional. It's, a, it's impactful. And uh, I can't imagine Dick being at home. Could you? Now, um, I, I remember uh, back when I was doing the Nuggets uh, for a draft night special, uh, we brought Dickie V in and, and you know, I know Dick had a, uh, you know, a sister. I don't know if she still lives in, in the Denver area, but he had ties here and we bring uh, Dickie V in and and we're, we're doing, I think, this hour you know, draft a couple hour draft special. And every time he had a book out, he always has a book out. Right. And, 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 and Fran, every time we go to a commercial break, cause we're kind of up on the stage and there were a lot of folks mingling around and, and every time he'd immediately jump out of his chair, he'd grab these hardcover thick books and toss them in the crowd. I'm thinking he's going to hit somebody in the back of the head with it. <laughs> but I mean that he, he huge energy and, and truly, uh, you know, He's theatrical, as we know, but he's done so much to build uh, the brand of college basketball and the enthusiasm that so many of us share for the game. No doubt. No doubt. He's had an impact on all of us. And uh, the game uh, the game would not be college basketball would certainly not be the TV phenomenon it's become over 40 plus years without Dick. So it's uh you know, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer for a reason, for many reasons. Uh, but the love of the game uh, that many of us all have uh, comes from, you know, uh, what he did starting in 1979, if you can believe that, right, uh, sure. when ESPN was formed. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been amazing. And uh, we all kind of, you know, live vicariously through him. And uh, uh, But now in this case, it's a little more serious because uh, – how serious it is, you know, uh, sure. and we're watching it. We're watching a battle, and it's uh, it's moving. So, uh, you know, we wish him the best. Yeah. Hey, Fran, I'll let you get out uh, on this, and, and forgive me, because it's the, it's the natural trap to fall into uh, with someone like yourself. But uh, from what you've seen so far, from what you know, from what you've watched, from what you've gleaned, who's the last one standing in early April of 22? Well, I would say, again, since no one should ever, uh, uh, you know, in March when the brackets come out, do not follow my bracket because they blow up quicker than most. Because uh, <laughs> I know I know too much, you know, and uh, it doesn't work out that way. But I really like this Purdue team. Uh, uh, you know, I, at this point in the season right now, they have they have it all. And, and by the way, the 7-4 kid, Zach Eady, who's only a sophomore, 19 years old, from Toronto, is incredible. He's he could end up a, an All American, and he's just started playing basketball three or four years ago. So they have all the pieces. They have a they have a lottery pick in Jaden Ivey. They have a great coach. They have depth. They go ten deep, and they got size inside. The dynamic player on the wing, and so I'd say Purdue. Well, we will we we will regather six months yeah. from now and we'll and we'll see how you did on this particular uh prediction fran uh yeah. safe travels to you i greatly appreciate the time i know you and i are going to hook up again uh down the road up in boulder i look forward to that immensely um but uh again safe travels and thanks so much for the time and, and keep up the great work thanks so much drew Andrew. and hopefully hopefully we've got a couple more games in us this season the two of us because that was enjoyable and uh 
I think we're going to see each other in January. So that's, that'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. Take care of yourself, Fran. Thanks. Well, we thank Fran Fritchilla again. I'll be working with Fran, I think, in January up in Boulder. I believe uh, I have Colorado and Southern Cal with Fran. So uh, I always look forward to uh, to to getting with him. Uh, just got to know him recently and great guys, you can tell, in the interview. And uh, somebody that loves, loves, loves college basketball. And uh, the neat thing is, as I was saying last week, you have some really good programs here in state, and uh, there's a reason to get off your couch and get in your car and head to Boulder or head to Fort Collins and check out what's going on. CU has a big one coming up, by the way, uh, on the 21st against the University of Kansas. That'll be tough, but it's good to see uh, a major program like KU from outside the Pac-12 uh, coming to Boulder. So we'll enjoy that one. Hey, before we get on out, a uh, quick note on the Avs. You know how much I love the Avs and uh, you know how talented they are. It seems like uh, every night they've been scoring six, seven goals. They've been on a on a great roll. I caught them in a wonderful game against Florida. They hung on and uh, beat the beat the Panthers uh Three to two the other night, and Florida's been uh, one of the three or four best teams in the NHL so far this year. Uh, the Avalanche, we know, can score. The keys down the road, and we're way away from playoff hockey, but Darcy Kemper has to continue to get better, and he has been um, much better than he was early on. In his new environs, uh, he's getting more comfortable. It appears he had some big saves late against Florida to preserve that win. Uh, same thing against the New York Rangers in the subsequent game. But he needs to keep growing because we know what happens in playoff hockey. He ain't scoring seven goals a game as the Avalanche seemingly have been doing on a nightly basis. It comes down to your goaltender. He's got to stay healthy also with his uh, injury history. Uh, but that's where you know Francis may play a big, big role because he's seemingly healthy again. And uh, we're going to see him uh, more frequently uh, now that he's back with the big club. The other concern I have, I don't know if, if you notice this, when you watch the Avalanche, man, does it always seem like they lose face-offs, particularly in their own zone? And you're like, man, just win a face-off, get the puck cleared. And I looked it up, and as we tape. They're 28th in the NHL in faceoff percentage. That has to be better. That has to be better. And uh, hopefully it will be. But I uh, wanted to uh, make sure I shout it out on the Avalanche because the last three weeks after a disappointing start, they've been as good as anybody in the NHL and entertaining as heck to watch. And, th and this is even without Nathan McKinnon burying the puck consistently yet. And I say yet because you know it's coming. I mean, he's still flying around the ice and creating opportunities, but uh, they are really, really deep. Also, quick shout-out to Logan O'Connor. Man, he's been good. Former uh, DU player. Has been uh, not only great on the PK, but every time his uh, his line's out there, he makes things happen. For me, he's the new Matt Calvert. Loved watching Matt Calvert play. His career got cut short because of concussions, but he plays a lot like Calvert. All right, that's all we got this week. We'll do it again next week. Uh, get that, uh, get those uh, presents out, Christmas shopping done, and uh, we'll have some fun next week as well. Take care, stay well. Talk to you in a week.